I want to ask you, just as a preliminary, to turn with me to the Old Testament. I want to read a passage from 2 Chronicles, and uh, I'm sure a lot of you are familiar. Whew, I'd forgotten how bright those lights are. The 2 Chronicles 7 passage so many of us are familiar with. Somebody give me the beginning of it, if you remember. 2 Chronicles 7, 14. Amen. If my people. That's not where I am, but it's in that chapter. All right? Backing up just a little bit in the 6th chapter and, and looking at the very first of the 7th chapter, I want to begin this evening by reading a part of the dedication of the temple there. And I want to read, first of all, just verses 40 and 41, and then jump down to verse 7, uh, excuse me, verse 1 of the 7th chapter. So in chapter 6, verse 40. Now, O oh my God, let your eyes be open and your ears attentive to the prayer of this place. And now arise, O Lord God, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priest, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation, and let your saints rejoice in your goodness. And then go down with me to the verse 1 of the 7th chapter. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord of the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, For He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifice before the Lord. We can stop there, and I want to ask you, can you imagine having, if you will, a church? This was the temple, of course. But a place that had been so filled with God that the preachers couldn't get in. And I'm assuming that no one else could at the time. But this had become God speaking to the people, saying that this is a sacred place for me. This is my sacred place. Now, I imagined what it would be like to see fire coming down from heaven and it not burning the church down, but filling the church. And knowing that God was blessing a place so much and what He was blessing it with was His presence. Now, this wasn't a light thing and we'll not stay there, but... They offered, I can't remember, like 22,000 oxen. It's down in the next verse. And a uh, hundred and something thousand sheep at this dedication. It is significant that God had come down and exercised His presence in those people in such a way. That, and He was saying, I'm blessing this place because it's my place. But there's something much more powerful and much more amazing that I want to touch upon this evening and that's found in the New Testament and so jump over there I've done all the preaching from the Old Testament I'm going to do this evening 
And look with me in a couple of passages beginning in Ephesians. And you don't have to turn. I'll, if you can trust me that I'll read them fairly well. But in Ephesians, the second chapter, in the 19th verse, I'm reading. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens. But you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In whom the whole structure being joined together. The King James says, I remember so well, it says, fitly framed together. Grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Go back to verse 13. Maybe I should have read it at first, but look what it says there. But now in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus... You who were once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now what the Lord is saying here is that I've moved the temple. And if you remember just a little bit of Bible, you know that God says, I'm going to take up my residence in the temple. And what He says now to us is that that temple is the church. But I hope you know and I hope you understand before we go much further that, that what God is saying is not this structure, it's not these walls, it's not this building that I'm inhabiting, it's but I'm in, in, in dwelling, I'm putting my presence in you. And He's done such a thing to take His holy temple and move it into the people of God. And if there's anything that there's a takeaway for this evening, I want it to be that God's temple, God's place is a holy place, and that place is in His people. I don't have time to preach all that Paul says to us, and I'm taking most of what I'm saying. If you'd like to go on and turn back to 1 Corinthians, I'm going to take one phrase out of there. But basically we pick up in Paul in Corinthians and other places that as the body of Christ, that each of us is a part of that body. And so if each of us is a part of that body, if we are truly in Christ, authentically one of God's children, then each of us is a part of the temple of God. Therefore each of us contains the separate, the, excuse me, the sacred presence of God. And for me to say, Mike, it doesn't matter that you're not here tonight. I'm saying that as if you weren't. Because <laughs> I see you, I think. And that, that it is important that this is part of the body. It's not a part that Dustin can feel. My wife is still back there with Miss Sandra. If she's not here, a part of the body's not here. You see? Now, we've got to remember that this, this unity of fellowship is God's sacred place. I want to pull something out that seemed kind of unusual to me when I found it 
But if you're in 1 Corinthians with me, I'm in the third chapter. And there's just a little phrase there. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I want to read to you just verse 4. For when, he, when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? The King James says, do you not walk as men, which really, are you not being merely human, is a better interpretation for us. Now you know that what he's addressing, if you're familiar with Corinthians, is that the people had become divided over either the teaching of Paul or the teaching or Apollos or, or somebody, and, and he said, let there be no divisions among you. But that, that's not where I want to dwell. Where I want to dwell is the question that Paul is asking, asking the Corinthian church there, are you not merely being, are you not being merely, however you have it in your interpretation, human? Are you not just being human? Well, you know, there's three answers to that, and one of the obvious answers is, well, I'm not even human, I'm just another animal. That's what the world would have us believe, that we're just animals in this universe like the other animals, and all of us animals have rights. Well, you know, that's not what Paul's referring to. That's backing up from even where Paul had started. And then the second one is, well, what do you expect? That's what I hear people say. What do you expect? I am just human. You know, uh, people will uh, find themselves caught in, in something they've done incorrectly or uh, embarrassing themselves, and they'll say, well, I'm merely human. I probably have said that myself. But I certainly have heard people say that. Paul is implying the third answer is that we are not to be merely human. Now, think about that. You can't use your humanity as an excuse for doing whatever you do. You can't say, well, that's like the... <laughs> I don't want to tell you the incident, but a lady stood in front of the church and says, well, that's just the way I am. And I wanted to stand up and say, well, why don't you let God change you? I didn't. And I really don't wish I had, but that's what I thought. We're not supposed to be merely human. Now, back in the day, that's back in the... Stone Age, when I was young, we used to say, there's supposed to be a difference between Christians and non-Christians. There's supposed to be something that uh, divides who we are in Christ and who the world is without Christ. But we've tried to, and I mean as, as humans, not we, but as humans we've tried to clump us all together and say, well, we're all in need of some type of spiritual life. Uh, I really don't like the answers that I got from some of the old timers when I first began to preach. And, and they said, well, we're all trying to get to the same place, aren't we? I really didn't think they were. 
at least if the word of God's the truth. And really, if we believe the word of God, what began to be part of my response to such a statement is, is no man comes to the Father but by me, is what Jesus said. And I said, there's just one way. There's not a whole bunch of ways. And God says, hmm, I think you did a pretty good job with your way. Now, I'm not here to discredit or confuse any of our doctrine as Southern Baptists. I'm a proud Southern Baptist, if pride's the right word. I don't mind sharing with people that I'm a Southern Baptist. Okay. I told a young man that was in a Ivy League college about a week ago, I said, look, it doesn't matter that I'm a Baptist, but what matters is that I'm a believer of this is the Word of God. And the best way that I can get uh, correctly associated to God is to buy, learn to love His Son and know His Son through the Word of God because He's the incarnate Word. I want to spend some time with what Paul had to say. Now, Goodness gracious, I tried to preach through 1 Corinthians one time as, as pastor of a church and didn't finish. You can imagine, uh, none of us preachers have ever finished Romans. I, well, I'm sure there's got to be some. I just hadn't been around any, but I couldn't even finish 1 Corinthians. But I'm going to try to preach 1 and 2 Corinthians in a very few minutes. So I entitled this for my sake to remind me that my wife said, keep it short. Colonels from Corinth. Just little kernels along the way. And so I'm going to have to clump a lot of things together, and you're going to have to trust me, but I'm going to shoot the, the passages to you to some degree so you can flash down through there to get where I'm trying to go. We're trying to answer the question, are we just being merely human? What Paul is doing in 1st and 2nd Corinthians is addressing a church that he truly loves. There are many illustrations of his love, but that's not my point. I just hope you trust that he's writing God to God's people, knowing that it's God's people. And the first thing that Paul does, and I do this in summary of, of something he, he said in Romans, actually in Romans 13, 14, he says, Make not provisions for the flesh. Now, he did a whole lot more than say that in 1 Corinthians. So if you want to, just zipping down through the first three chapters, in 1 Corinthians 1.10, he says, There should be no divisions among you. In the 11th verse, he said, I understand there's quarreling among you. In chapter 3, in the third verse, he talks about there being jealousy and strife in the church. And he goes on, and I don't want to, I just want to establish the fact. He mentions pride and arrogance later on. But what he is saying there is that he's saying if those things are characterizing this sacred body of God's temple, you are acting merely as humans. And you don't have an excuse to say you're merely human. You can't say, well, that's the way God made me. Let me tell you something. No matter what you say, and I'll use Brother Mike as an example again. 
lost you can say that's the way God made you yes it is I see your form I hear your voice but God was not satisfied with your physical self he sent his son to reconcile that physical self so that the physical and spiritual self could be united again with the father you see that that makes simple sense but he was saying this about the church that they couldn't act merely as humans I haven't done a lot of counsel that people came to me and said, well, you counsel me about because they already know how I feel about things and usually people don't want to hear what the Bible says about things. But I have just listened to people. One of our best counseling tools is listening. You know that. And what they began to say is, I'm this way because... This has happened to me because. And you know what? A lot of their reasons seem good to me. You understand that your wife just isn't who she ought to be when you come home for fishing for three days and expect her to have supper ready when you come in that third day. I understand. But the truth is, I don't have a right to be merely human I don't have a right to be merely human because God invested his Holy Spirit in every one of his children and he expects you to respect that as a sacred thing from God from him now not just yourself well I'm Mrs. or Mr. Holy Spirit New generation, I can be the one, right? I can be Mrs. Holy Spirit or Mr. Holy Spirit. I didn't say that. Excuse me, Carmen. I didn't have that one written down. But I have to look at you, brother, as one part of the body that has the sacred, has the sacred spirit of God within you, and I'm supposed to treat you as a sacred brother in Christ. Or Paul missed it. I don't think I'm missing it. Paul missed it because that's what he's talking about. Now I want you to imagine something. What are babies? Don't tell me. Let me tell you what babies are. They're babies. And so I have a playpen here. Do y'all know what a playpen is? Uh, I wrote down what a playpen probably should be today. A limited area for interrelations among the toddlers. PC, playpen. And so I put four toddlers in this cage. <laughs> That's what we're being accused of. I, I thought they were really good cages when my children were small. But anyway, I've got four of them in there. It doesn't matter whether they're brother and sister or distant kin or from different countries. Just four toddlers and toys enough for ten toddlers in there. What's going to happen in a few minutes? Y'all are laughing. What's going to happen in a few minutes? 
Am I a good toddler? Not at 66. But you got the idea. I mean, they will consume one another. Maybe y'all don't know babies like that. I was raised around them. I know why they had play pens. Put that little sucker in that cage. One at a time. They're just being babies, though. You know, you can't say, now, son, that's your cousin in there. You know, we want her around in a few years. Now, son, don't do that. Your mother is going to make me jerk you out of there in a second. It doesn't matter. They're toddlers. They're going to be right back to that baby stage. Now, as Paul saying, that we're like toddlers, almost, almost. What he is saying is there we're like toddlers and throw a couple of dogs in there. A couple of young dogs that their toys are in there. Maybe their treats are in there. Have you ever seen a toddler and a baby go after the same treat? I have. It ain't a pretty thing. I generally side up with the toddler. Why dogs? Why dogs? Because the dog is going to re re resort back to being a dog. And the Word of God says he'll return to his vomit. I don't want to describe what that means. Biology teacher, you can imagine. But it literally means what it says. Dogs are not humans. But in this case, dogs are not Christians. And in our case, babies are Christians. And Paul's saying, you Christians are acting merely human he's saying that if we do that and we continue in that in my sacred temple where I've chosen to live I'm gonna do something about that now who knows what he's says he's going to do let's we'll leave that for a few minutes humans can sometimes I hope this isn't a revelation to you but it's a point humans can sometimes succumb to levels that we don't even consider appropriate anywhere humans can sometimes act the way we wouldn't consider it to be appropriate anywhere The Word of God, in two places in the New Testament, has words for that. In, in Titus and in Second uh, Peter, I think. But the words are, brute beast. And we can act as animals. Humans as brute beasts. Now, he was being 
what both of those men in, in the scripture were being very critical of the way certain people were acting that we certainly wouldn't want to ascribe ourselves to becoming. But that happens when we're being merely human. Now I'm going to pull this together and go on to my second point. In 2 Corinthians 6.12, I'm just taking a phrase. You don't have to turn there, but if you want to look it up. Paul says you're restricted, you're restricted by your own affections. In other words, you're not able to do what God wants you to do because of your own mere human traits. That when you just act on the level, Paul's saying to the church at Corinth, when you just act on the level of your humanity, you're restricting the holy, sacred temple of God. That sounds serious to me. <coughs> Excuse me. James said in 4.1, what causes quarrels and, and what causes fights among you? In the playpen. Is it not that your passions are at war within you? How many of you know? I hope, but some of you give me a few a hand if you understand that Christians, real authentic Christians, still have a carnal nature. How many of you know that? Ooh, I'm scared. Well, let me tell you, I, I see about six of you with your hands up. Some of you didn't want to admit it. But very quick, I'm going to sort of prove it to you in 1 John, which is a jerk addressed to the church. is addressed to Christians. In the very first chapter, it says, He that says he has no sin is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Now, how can the truth be in somebody that's not a child of God? It can't be. So children of God that have the truth in them, that say they're without sin, are liars, the Word of God says. Now, Paul is saying that we as Christians, if we get so much in the flesh that we begin to treat each other as mere humans in the church, in the body, in the sacred body, not in this structure, as one body in Christ then we're going to deteriorate the church we're going to tear down the church not the structure I know a lot of structures that are still there but the people have already left it the spirit of God is withdrawn the people are withdrawn and dust and crumble is the structure that's not our point or our concern Paul begins to plea for unity. I want to do this very quickly because I want to share with you how not to act human. He begins at the very beginning of 1 Corinthians, even in the second verse, he says, Call to be saints, and the word after saints is together. So if you're not together, you're not acting as God would have the church act. You're acting merely human. He says, I appeal to you, in verse 10. In verse 10, he says, I appeal to you, look at those words, that you all agree, that there be no divisions, and that you're united in the same mind. 
I can hear Christians in my experiences in the past saying, well, I have every right. (coughs) No, you don't. This is not your church. This is God's church. This is His place of residence. And I don't know about you, but if you take me and put me in the playpen of God's church, God forbid I should call this building a playpen. It's at least more than a playpen, but you got the similarity here. And I act out in the flesh. What are you going to expect? I wish he would leave. Could somebody escort him out? Why? I have every right to be, fill it in. And you say, well, I wouldn't do that in church. What you're saying is I wouldn't do that in this body, in this building, excuse me. But I might do that across the table with my wife. I might do that with a brother in Christ out on the road. I might do, you see. Are you not just acting merely human? Paul puts a plea before the people. I'm going to ask you to read those two letters when you get a time, get some time. And I have my, I think I see some reasons here, but I'm going to skip over them. Paul spoke of us being fitly framed together. The last point that I want to share with you this evening is what I think is Paul. As he pleaded for them to be united, he began to explain to them what it would take for them to be the temple, the sacred temple of God. In 2 Corinthians 5, that chapter, I'm not sure about the chapter, but in, in those verses around chapter 5, my Bible says, Ministry of Reconciliation. And what Paul begins to tell them there in that fifth chapter of the second book of Corinthians now is that he and his ministers were to be ambassadors to them, reconciling them to God, and that therefore they had the ministry of reconciliation. Paul's holding the church accountable for being reconcilers. And saying that they should be ambassadors of reconciliation. I don't want to labor what an ambassador is. But you know, in a worldly sense, an ambassador is a representative of authority. And so for me to be at odds with Justin back there, I have the responsibility as a part of the body of Christ to be an ambassador to to Justin and go to Justin and say, Brother, I'm sorry. I've been at odds with you. I want us to get together because God wants us to be together. 
I want you to think about some things. We must seek Christ in every area of our life. And if we're going to be born-again Christians, we have to take the Word of God seriously. And that the church is the temple, the sacred temple of God. And we are called to be reconcilers together, ambassadors in this holy place. Now, this facility is important. This, these grounds are important. But have we prioritized taking care of the grounds over actually ministering? To the body of Christ. Now maybe I'm speaking mostly to leaders. I hope there's some of them still here this evening. Sunday school teachers, staff members, committee members, deacons. Ambassadors cannot remain silent and be ambassadors. You're called by God through His Word to be an ambassador. And if you stay tight-lipped and see the body of Christ falling apart, you are sinning if God's Word is true. <coughs> you are responsible as a leader to go to the body and heal it and care for it and soothe it. Yeah, we need functioning committees. We do. I mean, that's the nature of, the, of America and the world today. We live so fast and we live so big, and, you know, this is not a little bitty ten people. So we need those functioning committees. But more than functioning committees, we need to be fishers of men. God didn't call us to be committee members. He says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So I'm assuming that that means if we're following him, we're fishing for men. I want to give you a thought as I close. If you're a believer here this evening, and I'm assuming that mostly believers are here, maybe even some that know that the, one of the playoff games starts this evening, at eight. <laughs> Quit coming to church like this. And want to receive. Start coming like our songs. Really, the songs did a wonderful and excellent job this evening. And come to church and try this or this. You know, lifting holy hands up to God. And giving God the glory. Now... You don't physically have to do that. But I'm going to tell you something. If you can't do it here, you're here. And I want to tell you something. As you begin to do that, you begin to claim your, your dependence on God and your need for the Holy God and, and your need for Him to work among us and, 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 and our need for Him to allow us but through the Spirit of God not to be human. And before long, here's what you'll be doing. You'll be going to people and saying, let me love you in Christ. 
Let me bring you in Christ. Here's what Paul says. The magnificence of the church that we've described. And, and, and I'm paraphrasing Paul and I'm paraphrasing God and God knows that may not be good. But listen and then listen. Hear me and then listen. God seems to be saying there to Paul, to the Corinthians, well, I know some advice. And more than advice, I'm going to give you my spirit. I'm going to place my Holy Spirit within you. And, and what he says there, and, and I'll not run down the verses, but here's some of the things that Paul says that we have in Christ. We have power and wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Now you're going to have to dig those out for yourself, but here's what I'm saying to you, Christians. We've got a load of resources whereby we don't have to act merely human. We have the resources of God in Christ in our lives. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.9, but as it is written, if you want to read in two, yeah, 1 Corinthians 2.9, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. You see, those that are loving Him before long, they'll be this way. Oh, let's not be unreconciled. Let's not be at odds with each other. Let's ask God to reconcile this body that His presence might remain with us. In verse 12 it says, For we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And then on down in verse 16 it says, But we have the mind of Christ. Here it is, Christians. Here we are, a part of the body of Christ. All of this and all of this power available to us. And Paul went on to say, this is way over in 2 Corinthians 4.11, but he says, maybe you should write that down, 2 Corinthians 4.11. But he says, so that... The life of Jesus also may be made manifest in your, and I'm paraphrasing, mere humanity. In your human flesh is what he said. So that the life of Christ may be made manifest in your mere human flesh. I don't know about you, but as these things came to my heart and 
was kind of shooting Dustin text about how God had been working in my heart about this before Brother Don asked me if I could fill in this evening. But my thoughts were before that time that, goodness, Lord, I'd like to make that a New Year's resolution, that I act less human and more like a child of God, more like a part of the body and less, a, and less than part of the division, less than part of my own affections, the desires of my own affections. Let's not go from this place with anything less than a desire to be who God wants us to be before every brother in Christ that is a member of Wynn Baptist Church. Every single one. Now I know this isn't the whole body of Christ, either here or in the world. But you see, God made those ecclesia, those local in-gathering assemblies of God's people special to Him. And He said, look, I've got everything that you need to be and to do and the power thereof in me and I'm putting it in the local assembly. But he also says, and this isn't one of my parts, but you can imagine, I ask you the question, what would God do? God says, if you would destroy the temple, this is what he says, I will destroy you. I think God's serious. I think God's serious. So this evening, we're going to close and have a time of invitation. Don't want you to come to me. But the altars are going to be open, and I'm going to ask you to do whatever God leads you to do. You know, one of the commandments is, be ye reconciled one to another. That person may not be here that you need to be reconciled to. But if they're members of this church, I want you to know you heard it tonight that God says you're supposed to be an ambassador. Maybe you think somebody's wronged you. Maybe they really have. But that doesn't take away your ambassadorship. You ask God to let you, let you love them in Christ. I want you to know that's the best way to get rid of dogs in the playpen. Is that they turn into humans and the humans turn into God's children. Yes, if there were a playpen, I'd throw the dogs out. I really wouldn't put dogs in a playpen with even my children. resolve that we can live above the level of our frail still carrying the carnal flesh humanity and we have to lay it before God because it's impossible without him